drowning in IRS debt? If you can't afford to pay your IRS debt due to economic hardship, you can now be free of IRS collection efforts by taking advantage of a special IRS tax hardship program. This program allows Americans who owe the IRS to resolve their delinquent tax debt once and for all. In some cases, maybe even reducing what you owe significantly. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Simply dial 800-600-3010. If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back or have years of unfiled tax returns, help is standing by. Just call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-600-3010 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your social security check. Call 800-600-3010 to see if you qualify. That's 800-600-3010. Well, hello there, dear listener. Jimmy Brown here, um, host of the show, although this is Jen's episode this week. Um, I'm just giving you a little warning before we start the episode. And I'm going to um, use the very first F-bomb of the episode, despite the episode not actually having started yet. But this was a fucker to edit. This was awful to edit. So many problems. So many problems that I had to redo some of the first, what, six minutes or something. Um, and oh, it's just really terrible. And then my my audio is not great. And then on Jen's side, things happen. Um, you'll hear him throughout the episode. So I'm just giving you a warning and I'm not, there won't be any ads, I think there's one at the beginning but I can't really stop that, I'm not 100% sure, but um, there won't be any ads throughout this because I just don't feel as though that it deserves it, so um, hopefully things will be back to normal next time uh, thanks for listening and I'll speak to you um, after the music Welcome to So What's the Problem, in which we watch a movie from our youth and see just how problematic it may be by today's standards. I'm Jen. And I'm Jimmy, and today we'll be talking about Reality Bites, which was released on February 18th, 1994 in the US and June 17th in the UK and Ireland. It was written by Helen Childress and directed by Ben Stiller, his directorial debut. It stars Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, uh, Steve Zahn, and a whole host of people that you would recognize. So what will happen is this. Jimmy and I have each thought of three problems this movie has. They could be major problems or they could be silly, pointless ones. We will take turns in going through them one at a time, and neither knows what the other is picked. At the end, we'll both also have one positive thing to say about the movie each. So what is your history with this movie, if any? Well, I hadn't seen this since the mid-1990s, and all I remember was the scene with them dancing to the song about the grown man who admits that he likes having sex with teenagers. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I like this movie. It has some good stuff and people are like in it, but um, it's it's clearly 
trying to say things. I just don't think it executes them well. It rams in an AIDS message. And I understand that was a big deal in the 1990s. And it's, yeah, I think it's quite clumsily done here. Do we even learn that Steve Zahn's character is gay before we get to the scene where he tells his mum? Um, yeah, in the beginning, when after graduation, when they're on the roof, uh, Janine Garofalo jokes about like trying to straighten him out. So basically just a, just a throwaway line then. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, like being like, oh, he's gay in that line. So it's, I guess it's like, it's, it's a small enough thing that it's easy to miss it. But like, I mean, I got it. It, I, It's clear that those characters should have been fleshed out more. That is a complaint I do. It's not one of my problems listed, but um, I read in earlier drafts, they had a lot more. But then they just wanted to focus on the shitty love triangle. I think it's I think it's forgotten about. Um, we don't even see the guy he's dating at the end. He's out of frame in one scene that he, the, the the one scene that he's in. It's very clumsy stuff. Wait, what scene was that? It's during the um, the all I want is you sequence where she goes to see. She's looking for Troy. Um, and she talks to Steve Zahn's character in a diner, and uh, there's a. Uh, um, she he introduces her to his boyfriend, but we don't see the boyfriend. We only see his arms in frame. Oh, okay. I I missed that. I th- I think I was concentrating on how much Troy sucks. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, I just I think that yeah, the studio wanted this to be PG thirteen, so characters can chain smoke cigarettes. And uh, they can, you know, take hits of a homemade bong. That's fine. But seeing a character deal with his sexuality and even meeting his boyfriend isn't. Yeah. Okay, I already know. Um, But for the purposes of the podcast, I'm going to ask you, Jen, what your history is with this. (laughs) Well, my history is I don't... You know, there's a lot of... Most movies I saw, um, like, in the 90s, I kind of remember when I saw them. But this one, I don't know. <laughs> I, um, I'm i going to guess I was probably around 13 or 14. Like, it was probably, like, maybe a couple of years after it came out. Um, So I was, like, late middle school, early high school. And I loved it. And I watched it a million times. It's, like, like most movies I loved when I was younger, I haven't seen it in about 10 years or so. If it's not a teen movie, I, I haven't rewatched it very recently. Um, I have rewatched most of the teen movies, though, <laughs> which just shows you my priorities. But I loved it. I love the soundtrack. Um, watching it as an adult, like in, in who's you know nearly forty, a lot has changed. A lot has changed in my mind. Um, I remember when I was younger, watching it and wanting to be like th- like I thought. Okay, you get to your twenties. And you are just like having fun with your friends and going after a job you like, or maybe you can have a job at like the Gap or something and make, you know, and just like that pays your rent, which like by the time I was in my early 20s, that's not really happening. Yeah. And once Vicky, you know, once Vicky gets a promotion at the Gap, you know, she's perfectly happy. Yeah. So Jen, it's uh, it's problem time. What is, what's your first problem? My first problem? My, my first problem's <laughs> stupid. Um, okay, so this is a Ben Stiller movie, which hats off to Ben Stiller. This is a good looking movie. Whether or not you like the movie, like, I think he did a very good job with his directorial debut, especially since this isn't necessarily something he was setting out to do. Like, 
the people when the studio or the people developing the script like they saw the Ben Stiller show and they thought he would be good for this so um which I thought was really interesting I always assumed it was something he went after um but Ben Stiller for whatever reason I don't know if he still is but in the 90s he was friends with Andy Dick Andy Dick was on the Ben Stiller show Andy Dick has a small role in this it's just one scene but I fucking hate the guy I hate when he randomly pops up and shit and with Ben Stiller, like that's what happened when he was first starting out is Andy Dick would pop up and Andy Dick has always seemed super creepy to me. And then stories have come out in recent years where it's like, yeah, he is fucking creepy. And that's the thing is like there are people who like someone will be friends with them and they'll be shocked that the person is a creep. And it's like. And I don't know if Ben Stiller was shocked, but it's just like, he, you know, this is a guy who gets in roles, gets roles where he's a creep. Like people seem to find something creepy about him, but then don't always seem to get that he's a creep. You know what I mean? Like that drives me crazy. And so my first problem is just the presence of Andy Dick. I understand. I just hate him. <laughs> get that. Yeah. <laughs> so my first problem is this, and it's not the fault of the filmmakers, so I'm, I'm not blaming Ben Stiller for anything here. Well, no, I'm not, actually. Um, but right at the very beginning of the film, they use Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter, and Gary Glitter is a pedophile. And I know he doesn't get loyalties from the song, mm-hmm. but I just wish filmmakers would just stop using it altogether. I mean, he was first caught in 1997, so that was after this movie was released, so, you know, it's perfectly fine, but other movies have used it since, uh, like Joker, Mm -hmm. it's in that movie, Um, and I just can't listen to it, I just can't listen to him, because it just makes me cringe just knowing what he did. Do you think that movies like this should go back and replace music like that? Well, I I don't, because they couldn't have known about it back then. Mm -hmm. It's when we know exactly what the crimes are, but we still use this music anyway is what pisses me off. Okay. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, like, Todd Phillips using it for Joker, it's like, yeah, there's no way you don't know that Gary Glitter's a pedophile, yet you're still using the song. Um, and that just annoys me. Again, he doesn't get loyalties for it, which is good. It goes straight to the, the uh, music company. But it's still just giving him airtime. And it just annoys me. Um, also, Gary Glitter has like a bloody good Christmas song that I loved as a kid, but now I wouldn't feel right listening to it. Um, and not just because it's August right now, but because it's, um, I just love that Christmas song and I can't listen to it at Christmas. So my first problem is fuck you, Gary Glitter. Okay, <laughs> so what's your second problem? Okay, so this gets pretty far into the movie. So there's a point where she gets depressed. She calls um, a psychic line, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know how much time has passed from the time she first calls to when she gets the phone bell. Yeah, because um, Vicky says, you've been wearing those pajamas for a while now, and it's like, well, that's how we don't know <laughs> the passage of time. But also, has- Ben Stiller's gone to New York, and like, how long was he in New York? Because he's still in New York at the end of, like, like when she gets up out of, you know, off the couch. So it seems like a lot of time has passed, but also not much time. And my problem is, is that 
Because I, I just can't imagine more than a week or two has passed based on the information they've given us. But then they get this huge phone bill. You wouldn't get the phone bill right away for these calls you made. Like, you're gonna yeah. get, you're gonna get the phone bill, you know, you get it once a month. And I, I would assume that when you get the bill, it goes back a couple weeks. Like, that the most recent week or two would not be on it. So, one, how much time has passed? Like, she couldn't have gotten this phone bill this quickly. And two, she's continued to be on the phone since that bill was sent out to them. Which means she doesn't just owe $400. The next bill is going to be huge, too. Uh, Yeah, no, that is very strange. Because if she's still racking up and racking up, you would think the phone company would be like, right, we're cutting you off. This is ridiculous. But I do like that scene because she starts to um, sort out the psychic women's problems. Mm -hmm. It is funny. I think the whole thing's funny. And I think that um, watching a movie like this, like this movie as a time capsule is great because it does have things like that in it. Because there is such a short, like, that's something I really remember from when I was a kid. that There were things like these psychic friends hotlines. But that is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's such a short period of time that that was a thing. And it's nice to see it in a movie. Like, this isn't going to be some weird thing that's, like, lost. You know, like, kids can watch it today and see that, like, this was a thing at the time. But the whole thing is ruined for me because it's not realistic to me, the fact that she gets the bill when she does. And, like... And I don't like not not being able to guess at the passage of time because I feel like all the information I've been given contradicts each other. Yeah. And it just it just really pisses me off. Like it's I mean, this has bugged me since I was a teen. Yeah, they could have done that scene without the phone bill. Yeah. Um, the problem is that she's still in her pajamas and she's been on the phone for days. That's all that had to be said. Or even just like the phone company called and noticed this activity or something. Like that they're well, no, they couldn't yeah. call because she's tied up the line. Exactly. I don't know. I guess I just feel like <laughs> I, I I understand why they do the stuff with the bill, but because her like having to use that gas card for something so stupid, at, at least for me, it has more of an impact than her just trying to make rent. Um, especially since once she gives them the money, it's like okay, well now you still have to do the rent. Yeah. Um, but it just the. I, I don't like being confused about the passage of time in movies. No, I, I'm with you. Okay. What's your second um, problem? Oh, okay, we're going to get into it now. My second problem is Troy. That's my third problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, Troy's a wanker. Mm-hmm. Tro- Troy's a, a horrible, horrible human being. And I feel as though I'm saying this quite a lot in this podcast about people, about characters... But just the way he's portrayed just really pisses me off. He's like a petulant child throughout the entire thing. And he, he emotionally manipulates um, Lenny at any given opportunity. Um, um, I, I, need, I need you to know that when I was a teen, I was rooting for her to get to him, mm-hmm. get with him. And I really, it, I once again come back to this is the kind of shit that has screwed up generations of people because we watch TV shows and movies and we see this shit and we think like, Oh, if a guy treats you like shit, that's fine. Cause like he's dreamy. 
Yeah. So you should want to be with him. But, like, no. He sucks. And it wouldn't be that bad if he wasn't so mean to her all the time. But he's mean to her. Like, he could... He sucks in a lot of ways. Um, He pisses me off immediately because he sleeps with um, uh, Renee Zelliger, who is an extra in this movie. Yeah. Uh, He leaves... He leaves her apartment, and she gives him her number, and he throws it on the ground outside of her building. Like, that is so douchey. Like, she'll probably see it, you know? Yeah. It's just on the ground. Like, that. that if it was just he treats women like shit, and then he's different with Winona Ryder, I mean, that's, that's problematic, too, but that would be a little better. But he's mean to her. Yeah, he's a dick to every single woman. And all of them. He's just, he's just a, oh, Jesus. Um, and the thing is, too, that we're going back to this whole, the woman is going to go for the asshole instead of the, the nice guy mm-hmm. trope that seems to happen a lot in 90s movies, that it's like um, Michael makes a mistake, but he's a perfectly nice guy. He clearly loves her, he bets. Um, and... Um, he tries to make up for the mistake he made. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not a massive fucking mistake. Like, you can imagine Troy maybe sleeping with someone else at mm. some point. Um, but I don't think Michael would. And, but we're supposed to root for Troy because he's not a yuppie like Michael. Okay, so since your, your second problem is Troy. Yeah. And my third problem is Troy. I am fixing my third problem. I'm changing it a little. <laughs> But it still okay. goes along kind of with the same thing. Because my problem is this movie, I feel that this movie is trying to make us think that Michael sucks and Troy is good. And that is my yeah. other problem, is that Michael, like, I, so be- Dylan and I, my husband and I were talking about this um, yesterday, and I rewatched it this morning. We were talking yeah. about this yesterday, and it's been a while since either of us saw the movie, and we're talking about, like, you know, kind of just discussing what we thought my problems might be and how it might be different watching it now as like a fully grown adult. Um, I was like, you know, I think I remember last time watching it thinking like Michael, you know, he isn't as dreamy as Troy. And like, you know, I, I remembered him being more of a villain, but then thinking like, Oh, he has a stable job. Like this is somebody who can like provide. And especially if she wants to be like a documentary filmmaker, like, Imagine if she chose him and not only like, does he love her and everything, but like he can provide for her and she could actually really pursue this documentary filmmaking as a, as a career. Like, um, not that she should be. Yeah. And it's, and it's not that she should be with him just because, you know, he has a decent, he makes a decent paycheck, but she also does seem to genuinely like him. But you know, we were kind of talking about, like, the ways we remembered Michael sucking. And so then when I watched it today, it's like, no, he doesn't suck at all. Michael is a really nice guy. Like, he, he he's nervous. Around, like, I didn't remember him being so nervous. Mm-hmm. But, like, I remembered him being, like, just, like, this kind of confident, douchey, yuppie guy. Yeah. But that's not who he is at all. He's this guy who's trying to break into this business. Like, he's still pretty early on in his career and he's nice to her. He seems to have some low self-esteem issues considering some of the ways he talks to her. He's not as intelligent 
as Troy as far as like being quick witted and um you know he doesn't know shit about like philosophy or whatever but and so it's embarrassing when he's arguing with him because he can't come up with the words and um, he can't verbally spar with Troy but that's a huge part of the charm for me watching it this time is that like that's how people are like I've had those moments where I'm talking to somebody and like, I know I'm just as smart as them and maybe smarter in some ways, but they are so much quicker on their feet. Um, when, when like verbally sparring or whatever that like, I feel like an idiot, you know? And so he's so relatable in that way. And even like, I remember when I was younger thinking it was awful that she said, you know, not to take these tapes to the network and he does it anyway. And, like, goes behind her back and changes it. And this time I'm like, what What was wrong with me? Like, yeah, he takes the tapes. But even when he's telling her about it, even when he's telling her he sold it and, like, that he did this thing that she actually really needs right now. She needs money right now. But he's like, is that okay? Like, he's very aware that he did something wrong and he's apologizing for it, even as he's yeah. giving her this good news. And then when she watches, when she sees the changes that have been made, he is 1000% clueless. He did not know they were going to do that. And yeah. I remembered, I just know that when I watched it, thinking that he had done it on purpose and was just pretending that he didn't know, but like he didn't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm mad at the movie for doing this test because it's clear that's their intention. And if you talk to anybody about this movie that hasn't watched it recently, that's how they remember it. It's, a bummer. And then Troy like sucks, but they were supposed to think he's so great. And he just, he's awful. And then using the fact that his father died as like the way he's supposed to have improved is that like, he's thought about death for a minute. Yeah. In fact, going back to what you said about Michael, I, I had that memory of it going in. I always thought that when I was re-watching it this weekend, I thought that Ben Stella was the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that he would do something to justify her dumping him. I don't even think he knows that it was changed. I think he, he said he knows it was changed a little bit, but he didn't know. He didn't realise just how much it was changed. Um, and he just wanted to help her because she needed it. And he was trying to do the right thing. But he gets so shafted, it just pisses me off. Right. So the thing about Troy is, He's constantly emotionally manipulating Lenny, like constantly throughout the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just look at the scene where she is upset, but he he says something like along the lines of, um, "She breaks my heart again and again, um, but I love her," and that's supposed to be romantic, right? Mm-hmm. But it would be if he didn't run off like a petulant child every time he doesn't get his own way before this. Like he kisses her. She rebuffs him, and he fucks off for days at a time. He goes away in a straw. She had a boyfriend, and he kissed her. I don't know. I don't understand. Is he supposed to be cool? Is he supposed to be romantic? Is he supposed to be um, likable? He's he's just he's not. And then uh, later on, she's upset, and um, he butters her up and emotionally manipulates her again, just so he can sleep with her. And then he fucks off right early in the morning, um, and he's off. He's very awkward and everything, and leaves her just like bewildered. Oh, 
And then he starts shouting at her later on in the bar. It's like, what the, what? Well, I notice at the bar, you know, he's, he's playing when she comes in. Um, and then Ben Stiller comes in and she's talking to him. And all of a sudden, Ethan Hawke, like, comes up to her and yeah. is like, should you tell him or should I? You know, he's, exactly. he has blown yeah. her off. And now he's seen her just talking to Ben Stiller. And all of a sudden, this is something I've always thought about him. But, like, when I was younger, I didn't see it for the uh, douchebaggery that I do now. That she is someone he's always had a thing for, and he's kept, he, he likes that she's there, and probably assumes that someday he will settle down with her, but he still wants to fuck around and sleep with other women. Oh, God, there's, let me, let me wait, because the neighbor is mowing his lawn, and I'm sure it's being picked up. Yeah, I can get it. Yeah, um... I'm not having a great day with the with the sounds. I think that he's kept her around as like the person he might end up with someday, but he wants to sleep around with women for now. And the second he sees her with someone else, yeah. He's like, "Well, no, she's my property. I've kept her around as my property." Like he doesn't expect her to be with someone else. And it's very frustrating to think that like you know, I think that he represents what we were taught for years and what they still try to teach us now sometimes. That, like, oh, God, the lawnmower's coming back. <laughs> the lawnmower's coming back. The lawnmower is returning. Run! Right? You know, there's really not that much grass. <laughs> You'd think he'd be done by now. Um, yeah. Okay, so we've been taught that, you know, if, like, it's the thing on the playground where, you know, a boy teases you and you go complain to your mom and she's like, well, he just likes you. It's like, Troy is, he's so mean to her, but it's just because he likes her. And you should be so thrilled when a guy does that because it means that he likes you. And it's dangerous. I'm actually this wasn't by a man. The reason stuff like this comes from a woman is because this is what we were taught by the patriarchy. And this is also what we were taught by pop culture that has mostly been created by men. Yeah. On the one hand, I'm like, yeah, it's surprising it was written by a woman. But on the other hand, it's like, well, but am I? Because I watched this for years thinking, yes, this is correct. <laughs> this is how yeah. it's supposed to be. This is romantic. Yeah. But he talks to her so... Um, he's so dreamy and so sexy, and you know it's um, this is how it's supposed to be. And uh, Jesus, he's just a horrible. Um, and right to the end, where his dad dies, and he has this epiphany, and and that doesn't work for me because of the fact that a we don't need his dad. Mm-hmm. We he only hear his dad has cancer. B he doesn't really care about his dad. So the fact that his dad dies, I don't care. I, I, we don't see his dad, but we're expected to be like, oh, he's okay now, he's fine, he'll be nice, he'll be good to him now, because his dad died. Fuck off. He's been fired by t- from 12 jobs. I just want to put yeah. that out there. I can't imagine wanting to be with someone who, by the time they're like 22, 23, had been fired from 12 jobs. Exactly. And he's proud of it as well. Oh, I hate him. 
Absolutely. Okay, now, what's your third problem? My third problem is a very short one, um, and but it is, it's, this movie does the character things to see who they're looking for, only for it to be the doppelganger cliche, when she's sitting in the, sitting in the bar, he's buggered off to his dad's funeral, mm-hmm. and she sees this guy with long hair, and she thinks it's him, but he lifts his head up and it's not him. And I hate that. <laughs> I hate when do that. But it's just a stupid fucking trope. It doesn't deserve to be um, in this. In, in uh, any movie. Can I throw in a bonus problem? Of course you can. This movie is how I found out Mr. Brady died of AIDS. Same. <laughs> Same. Like, I, rem- I had no idea. <laughs> when I first saw it. I did. I I thought that was like a joke or something. Like I didn't get it. I did not understand what. Like I thought he was just saying like the world is so depressing. Like you know that after the show ends that the character dies of AIDS. Like I didn't know what to do with that. And it, and then later I found out. Oh no, the actor actually died of AIDS. Yeah. And I didn't find out until this weekend. So. <laughs> It's crazy. Like, I didn't know that. And and along those lines, I also really appreciate this movie that, like, you they don't talk about it a lot in movies that, like, so many of us are raised on sitcoms. Like, these guys are raised on sitcoms. They, they You see them watching sitcoms. You see them talking about sitcoms. Um, Like, the fact that Mr. Brady died of AIDS probably actually really affected them. Like, that's, I mean, because that, and that's something that, like, my kid doesn't know. He's never been forced, like, he's never had to, like, sit around flipping through channels and watch Gilligan's Island because it's the only thing that's on. Yeah. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's your positive? Well, I have a lot of positives because, unlike you, I actually really like the movie. Like, <laughs> even though Troy sucks, like, I still really, really like the movie. But I, I think... I, you know, I have to choose one thing. So the one thing I choose is the soundtrack. Yeah, I was going to mention the soundtrack, yeah. The soundtrack is so good. It, like, I still listen to it. I still actively listen to it. And even just, like, the last couple of days thinking about how I was going to watch it, I kept getting um, Spin the Bottle by Juliana Hatfield in my head. Like, that I, it's not even, like, thinking about this movie that I just think about, like, My Sharona or I just think about Tempted. Like, so many other songs come to my head. And it's and there's songs in this movie that are great that aren't on the soundtrack. Um, like, Story of My Life, um, I believe that's Social Distortion. Yeah. Like, it plays briefly, but, like, I really like that song and it's not on the soundtrack. But it's just, the soundtrack's really good. And I was whenever I was reading about the movie, I read that um, there was an executive that talked about how... Um, soundtracks are uh souvenirs and everything i was reading about that i loved it so much that like a soundtrack is a souvenir of a movie and it is such a perfect way of putting it because it is like i'd go see a movie like i'd watch something like this and i would love the movie and i would love the music and going to get the you know going to your local (laughs) record store and buying the cd and listening to the CD at home, it's like, yeah, I'm enjoying the music, but it's also this thing that reminds me of this movie that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Like, calling it a souvenir is so perfect. I think the soundtrack for this movie is so amazing. And it brought us Lisa Loeb. Yeah, that's a great song. It's, it's only an end credits, though. 
Yeah, but that was the first time a song went to number one from an unsigned artist. Like, she did not have a record deal. Yeah, and um, Ethan Hawke directed the music video for that. And it's a good video. Yeah. I watched it. Yeah, I watched it right before we recorded, and it's it's good. (laughs) So, my positive is, I like it when the dialogue seems naturalistic. Because the standout scene for me is um, the date with Michael and Lainey, and they're sitting on top of his, they're sitting on his car, and they're listening to Peter Frampton, and just chatting. And it just feels like they were sort of spying on two normal people having a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so natural, that scene. Both of them just chatting away. I don't know if it was written or if it was, um, if it was improvised. Um, I was reading about how yeah. they didn't really do... They didn't really improvise because Jean Graflo at this point, most of her jobs had been on shows where they did improvise. And she actually got fired for a minute with this movie because she had a bad attitude. And part of it was that she didn't think she needed to read what was on the page. Right. And they were like, no, because back in the day, you know, like they're filming this on film and they only have so much film. So, like, one of the reasons you could have, like, the Judd Apatow movies these days where so much is improvised is because they're filming it digitally. So they can go however long they want with a scene and not have to worry about the film costing too much money. But they didn't do much improv back in the day, like, mostly because they couldn't afford the film. Yeah. So that scene, I don't think it was improvised, which is extra impressive. Yeah, no, that's good Seemed, it seemed natural. Um, was your neighbor using a, a flamethrower or something there when I go? Because there was a weird sound happening. The air conditioner um, kicked in. <laughs> and you I know what? Your neighbor decided to stop mowing the lawn just like flame it. Here's, here's the thing. I just want to say this right here, and you can put it in if you need to. Yeah. And if you manage to deal with this audio and it's fine, then you don't need to put this in. Yeah. But if the audio does sound bad, at least on on my side, like I just want it to be acknowledged that I've had a neighbor mowing his lawn, I've had air conditioning kick in, I've had my microphone stop working like 10 or 15 minutes into it. I've had so many sound problems and I just want to make sure it's acknowledged. Yeah. <laughs> because it has been really frustrating for me, and I have lost my train of thought multiple times because of it. Yeah. And well, yeah, it's a little secret as well, though. Like, during, I, I can't, just very recently you were talking, and um, I kicked my microphone wire out. So I had no sound from my side, um, but it was fine because you were talking away. And I was <laughs> listening to you and looking to try and plug in my, my, the wire to my microphone. <laughs> It's uh, on the floor because it's too close to my foot and I kicked it out. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we both had um, problems with sound this episode. Um, before we finish, I just want to say that I, I like Conan O'Reilly's pointy little face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's something that was said to have this well, which is a pointy little face uh, by Fraser's dad. Yeah. So, I just like to, yeah. Um, I didn't like I didn't like the revenge part though. I thought that was quite um, sort of shallow. Well, and it it kind of shows like how much things have changed that like these days 
I mean, and you see her struggle to find a job in the movie, so it's not like she can immediately go out and get a new job. Yeah. But these days, you really don't want to burn bridges like that because it is so much harder to get a job. Because, like, it, it it's easier to get away with that kind of stuff in 1994 when you can go make, you can make rent by having a job at the Gap, right? Like, you can go out and get a job that, like, you think isn't very good, but you can still pay the rent. These days, if you burned a bridge like that and then you can't get a job, like, you're not making rent. No, that's true. And I just didn't like, I just didn't like the whole sort of her writing the cards for him to say and saying that he likes, to, he likes little kids and stuff. I thought that was a bit sort of, it doesn't really fit her character. Yeah, especially since she's supposed to be the responsible one, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a Troy thing to do. Uh, it was like, Troy is a bad influence on her. That is all we have time for. If you'd like to follow the podcast, it's at Drop the Pilot Pod, which is another podcast, but you know, just use that Twitter handle. Contact at shiftybench.co.uk if you want to contact us. Where can the people find you on the internet, Jen? Um, I tweet at, at Pilot Inspectors. Um, I also have a podcast called uh, Closer to Free. It's a Party 5 Rewatch podcast, and we've recently started back up again. Yay! Yeah, and <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.